This is the podcast for November 25th, 2011. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from backstage at I Am Herman Kane the Musical, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, one and all. And, Turkey and lovers, tofu lovers, football lovers, non-football lovers, everybody. Everybody. And we're so grateful for you, just mm-hmm. so you know. If you're listening, you're on our list, and we really appreciate your letters and your contributions. I think we had like 12 contributions last week. Wow. That's just awesome. Which is awesome. Out of 3,000 listeners, we get 12, and we're really grateful for that. So yeah. I <laughs> we're grateful a lot for the listeners time. and the contributions. Thank you. I, I personally spend a lot more time these days counting my blessings. Yeah, yeah. We, we are, have a lot we, to be grateful are, for. We really we're do. blessed and, as they say, blessed and highly favored. Yes, we are. Yes. And And we have some letters to read. Yes, we do. We got a package in the mail yesterday. And you, by we, we mean you, Blue Cow. I... Well, I didn't know what it was. Someone someone said they were going to mail us some cookies, and I thought that's what it was. I said, oh, that must be cookies. And I opened it up, and it was yarn. Oh, my God, was it yarn. Yes. Oh, it was yarn. And, you know, you said that out of your <laughs> – what you wanted to get out of blogging was money, women, and liquor. Yes. And what yes. I want is world peace, a liberal majority, and yarn. <laughs> And yes. I got one out of three. Winning. <laughs> Winning, duh. <laughs> anyway, it came with this very nice card. Uh, this is from Joe in Maryland, and he says, Dear Blue Gal, I heard you say you were a knitter, so I just had to send you some yarn. <laughs> and it's not just some yarn. I'm not going to tell you more, give you more details, because the knitters in the audience would have a spontaneous orgasm. But it's it's not koi goo, but it's up there. And that there, I've just said the code for all the knitters out there. Had to send you some yarn. Knit yourself something warm and pretty for those cold Midwestern winters. I didn't notice the name of this yarn when I picked it out, but it is very appropriate. And the name of the color of this yarn is One Hell of a Woman. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was appropriate. <laughs> Best of everything to both of you and the kids and kitties, your faithful listener, Joe, a fucking independent, as Drift Glass calls us. P.S. Yeah. My fiance says Drift Glass says fuck too much. Well, Joe, your fucking fiance is right. <laughs> we're going to change the name of this podcast to Fuck You Know, right? Fuck You Know. You Know yeah, those and are my, Fuck. Those yeah. are my two crutches, Joe, that I use to <laughs> hobble from one brilliant idea to the next. And uh, I We've do had other swear. comments about that, you know, because you were on, you know, because you were on a radio show and there's a bonus podcast at our podcast list. Yeah. Uh, that where you're just on, you know, basic broadcast radio giving a brilliant interview. Thank you. And you didn't swear. Nope. They and told it is me entirely not to. possible for for us to be on the radio and not swear. And this is our microphone. If someone else exactly. is paying for the microphone, we will follow the rules. As we were discussing yesterday over lunch. Yes. When discussing this show, I have in the past. I will try to be as as generic as possible. I have given PowerPoint presentations, briefings, and puppet shows, <laughs> shadow puppet shows when the technology failed, to very senior executives, to very senior managers, and I have briefed congressional staff members 
on more than one occasion. I've also entertained um, delegations from other countries with a variety of song and dance numbers that I felt to be appropriate for the occasion. During those, during those <laughs> presentations, when it was really important to be, uh, present myself in a particular way, I didn't swear once. But when I'm on my own dime, I scratch my balls and say fuck a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the way that is. And, but I, I thank you very much, Joe. I, I, I didn't want to come across as being flip or, or jerky. I appreciate people who are, who are truly independent, who refuse to, uh, pin themselves down. My experience is simply that too many independents I have talked to and discussed were simply cowards. We're just, we're just, they didn't want to pick a side because on anything, because they wanted to be, hold themselves aloof from the process and yeah. bitch about everybody being equally wrong. And be right, and be right all the time yeah. without taking a risk, right? Yeah. I and you saw the look on my face when I opened that yarn. Yeah. And I, you know, and I assume people who listen to this more than once, yeah. aren't that sort of person. No, so, no. good on you, Joe. Good on your fiance, and and very best of luck to both of you. And and you made me very happy with that yarn. Thank you. Very you did. Much. I saw her smile, I, and it lit up the whole afternoon. All right, so, you're going to read a letter. To now. You're going to read a letter. letter. Yeah, it's it's right. Letter there. number two is about unions, mm-hmm. and it's from Eric in Michigan. And Eric in Michigan writes, "Dear Drift Class and Blue Gal, greeting from the once great state of Michigan." I'm writing to you in reference to a subject you discussed a few podcasts ago that's been bugging me ever since. It was the question from a listener regarding the often cited anti-union, parenthetically, and mostly politically spun bullshit story of a worker spilling a drink and shutting down a line for hours because they couldn't find a janitor to mop it up. First, a little personal history. I'm 40 years old and have lived in the Rust Belt all my life. I grew up in a household where my family members have been active in unions going back many generations. I've worked in both union and non-union shops over the years and am myself a former UAW member. Over the years, I've heard many stories like the one mentioned before, and there's a common thread to all of them. They're almost always uttered on a shop floor by somebody who can best be described by the technical term ignorant redneck hillbilly. IRHs are people or their descendants, who came to the industrial Midwest from the South, starting about 30 or 40 years ago in search of work. What they brought with them was a very Southern work ethic, where cuz the Fisher Biden is legitimate cause to skip work, and a lack of any personal historical context of how and why unions came to be in the first place. What they found when they came here was a largely racially integrated workforce, especially in urban areas around Chicago and Detroit, and a corporate ideology more than willing to exploit their ignorance of history, as well as their racism, to poison the workforce with anti-union sentiments and propaganda. Now to the story. To an IRH, the very idea that a spilled drink would shut down a line for hours because they couldn't find a presumably union janitor to clean it up is ludicrous. That's because IRHs are stupid, and they do stupid things such as they don't say anything to anyone and simply clean it up themselves, hoping no one will notice. If nothing comes from it, fine. If something comes from it, also fine. Why? Because when the sensitive electronics burn out before it shuts shuts the line down for even longer and they get to go fishing, they tend not to think about the possibility of what happens should it result in a fire or someone getting electrocuted, even themselves. 
I've seen IRHs do the most dangerous and stupid things, ignoring all sense of safety. And if they do get hurt and survive, usually brag about it like it validates their manhood or something. It's insane. And I'm going to interrupt here and say if you haven't ever seen an ignorant redneck hillbilly do something like that, watch Tosh.0 on Comedy Central. You'll see a lot of that. (laughs) I was going to say a brief aside here. The most famous ignorant hillbilly last words are as follows. What's this button do? Or watch this. Yeah. 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 Sorry. And there's there's ignorance everywhere, but I I know exactly – who he's talking mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. and it is true. Mm-hmm. It's you know there's there's a, a respect for machines and and, and a, a certain level of ability to do craft work, but when you're working for someone else, fuck it, you don't care. Yeah, you know, doesn't matter a goddamn bit. So continuing, IRH don't appreciate things such as lockout tagout procedures, safety rules, and workers' compensation. These are things unions fought hard to get for very good reasons. Before they existed, people would be hurt or maimed or even died through no fault of their own, and they'd be left to rot. The company who should have been responsible for their safety would wash their hands of them. All the rules that exist today, like the ones that say things like, if you spill a drink on a control panel, you contact your supervisor so a qualified technician can sign off on the equipment before it is put back into production – came about because someone somewhere very likely died because someone didn't do just that. Since most IRHs don't seem to have much concern for their own safety at times, it's not surprising when they tend not to show reasonable concern for the safety of others as well. What's ironic is while IRHs are the first to complain about lazy, overpaid union workers, they're also the first people to abuse the things unions have fought for. They scoff at people who milk workers' comp for non-existent injuries, abuse sick days, and pay leave, etc. But they are also some of the ones most likely to be doing those very things. Those of us who grew up in union households, who heard the stories from our grandfathers and great-grandfathers about how they fought for the benefits that we have today, would never disgrace their sacrifice that way. We understand all too well that if we abuse it, eventually we will lose it. And I gotta say, um, this is that's the end of the letter, and a, a mighty fine letter it was. And I hope I read it uh, with the proper emphasis, Eric, because it's really good. Um, that this sort of reflects what Matt Taibbi wrote in his article um, "Tea and Crackers" about the Tea Party movement, yeah. which has a, an astonishingly high percentage of IRHs in it. Which is, he went down and reported, sat down among the rednecks in Kentucky, and. As they were bitching about their about those those useless moochers who who feed out of the public trough and and how their their hard earned tax money goes to pay for the un, unworthy and and unwilling to work, he po- he asked them, well, what did you do for a living? Well, I worked for the government. Yeah, I was I was an auditor. I did this. I did that. I worked for the power company. And now, well, now I'm on Social Security and workman's comp. So basically, you're the moocher. You're the guy who sucked off the government teat your entire life, and now you're retired on some bullshit workman's comp thing um, where you're getting all of your health care paid for, your benefits paid for, and most of your salary paid for. You're a moocher. You're the person you're talking about. And the people who who he was talking to, at least one of them kind of looked a little shamefaced and said, well, you busted us. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what he what they mean is black people who do that. As long exactly. as it's ignorant white trash who's, who are, 
who are mooching off of hardworking people like me, they have no problem with it. As long as it's ignorant white trash who are who are sucking government benefits off the table and living off of them and sitting in public parks bitching about the government and nobody's down there pointing a finger at them saying, you fucking ignorant rednecks are the fucking problem. Pardon my swearing. Uh, they have no problem with it. They are the worst offenders. Everything that they complain about, they are the very worst examples of. They are the rotting meat, <laughs> the rotting social meat that resulted from our political EPA being shut down 30 years ago by Ronald Reagan. And I'm very glad you pointed this out, Eric, because it confirms all my biases and who doesn't love a <laughs> like that. <laughs> we have letter another number. letter. This one is addressed to you, Driftglass, from mm-hmm. Edgar, who also sent us some articles and a CD with some uh, Leonard Cohen covers, live bootleg of Dax Riggs. It sounds really good. We haven't listened to that yet, but we're going to listen to that. He sent us a CD. Dear Drift Glass, I've read a lot of hot stories in your publication about stuff like this, but never thought it would happen to me. (laughs) Oh, wait, never mind. I'll write to Penthouse Letters later on. Anyhow, greetings. And by the way, this is from a guy named Edgar. Greetings from possibly the most Republican county in Georgia. My rep is Paul fucking Brown. Sigh. I'm a longtime reader since 2003 at least. I just want to thank you and Blue Gal for your work and especially for the podcast. I listen to it every Sunday morning as I make brunch for my family. It's sort of my church of the professional left, I guess. This morning while I was listening and cooking, the combination of cheesy omelets and insightful political commentary took me somewhere I had not been before. To the intersection of David Brooks and Velveeta Cheese. (laughs) It's not a pleasant place to visit and nobody actually wants to live there. And he goes on and he tells a story about going to a a little dive uh, breakfast place and having breakfast and the waitress saying, you want cheese on them hash browns? And he was hung over and he said yes and it was a very bad decision. (laughs) But he's, he then goes on and says, The centrist boosterism of Brooks Friedman and their ilk is like the Velveeta of journalism. It looks vaguely like journalism, sounds, smells, and tastes a bit journalistic, but upon analysis reveals itself to be something else. Velveeta is a cheese food product, not cheese, but C-H-E-E-Z-E. Uh-huh. It sort of looks and tastes like cheese, but it is a combination of vegetable oils, dairy solids, and the devil's own brew of chemical compounds designed to make it more cheese-like. It's not good for you, fucks up your bowels, and has enough sodium and cholesterol to drop an elephant, or ass for that matter. Brooks and all are, shall we say, a pundit thought product, not actual journalism. Their words ape understanding of political discourse and public policy, but utterly fail when confronted with the real. And similar to Velveeta, their puerile meanderings and vile mendacity, posing as actual journalism, tend to bind up the thinking processes of American citizens who prefer not to worry about where their journalism comes from or their processed food products, for that matter. It's not journalism, but journal ease, E-E-Z-E. Mm-hmm. It provides an ersatz simulation of understanding in a form of a pox on both their houses and fuck the hippies. 
but does not convey any reality beyond the central tenet of centrist thought, the pillar that holds up the shithouse. But you know all of this, Driftglass. I know you do, because you've told me so. Once, twice, a hundred times, a hundred podcasts, you've told me so. I just wanted you to know that I appreciate that you take the time to do it. I know this stuff, but I understand it better now, not just because I got a PhD in rhetoric, oh, good for you, but because you gave me an opportunity to think about political communication in the context of media and social history, and you injected it with a passion that I sorely needed back in 2000 when everything went wrong. If you feel sometimes that you are engaged in a Brooksian struggle with yourself, i.e. writing the same column over and over again, <laughs> while people still continue to conflate David Gregory's pillow-soft questioning with real journalism, do not despair. What you do matters. It matters to me, and it matters to a lot of other people. Keep on keeping on, Driftglass, and I'll keep pimping your work every chance I get. Thanks also for your lovely wife, both for her work and for putting up with you. Ha ha. Your loyal reader mm. listener, Edgar. <laughs> I don't well, I don't put up with him. No. I, I we're the ones I hear a shout from the other room. <clears throat> I found another goddamn spelling error. <laughs> I'm Which, reading your you know, blog. Is, There's a spelling error in just, paragraph three. Thank you for emasculating me. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so very much. No, we, 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 we have, we're writers and artists living under the same roof with a bunch of kids who are writers and artists. Yeah. So. And it's heaven. It's, it really it's a heaven, ball. Yeah. It's a blast. It's, it has its own set of very unique headaches. And as I must point out to myself, there is no such thing as something being very unique. It's either unique or it's not. Mm -hmm. So shut up, Drift Glass. <laughs> um, and once upon a time, since everything leads to a story, I actually knew a chemical engineer who turned screenwriter who worked at Kraft Foods and said exactly what Edgar said, which is Kraft – Velveeta cheese is a chemical extrusion that is designed to meet a certain meltability rate. Yeah. It has to be able to spread out across litmus paper or whatever they're, they're testing it on at a certain rate, and it has to have a certain shelf life, which runs into the years. It bears no relationship to cheese at all. And like journalism versus Brooksianism – Real journalism is like uh, Mike Rico. I, I, I lean on him a lot because I admire him a lot. But it's organic, locally grown, using locally available materials, and it's built from the ground up. It's prepared using honest craftsmanship and fresh ingredients every fucking day, or was. Brooks' stuff is just this same bland, centrist goo that's extruded twice a week, every week, by a machine. And I once joked that I don't know who writes David Brooks's column, but I know the guy who wrote the algorithm that extrudes mm -hmm. David Brooks's columns. And it's sort of true, except – and if it were just bland pap running down the middle of the political aisle, it would be relatively harmless. But it's bland pap that's designed to cover up the fact that the right is wrong, that David Brooks's native political land, conservatism, has been wrong about everything. And the people who are generally wrong about everything, David Brooks and Tom Friedman and Andrew Sullivan and dot, 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 tend to the last refuge of their parasitism and their scoundrelism is centrism. They take refuge in this bland pap in the middle that says, well, you know, 
whether I was right or wrong is really irrelevant because both sides are wrong, right? Yeah, and, and if we just found some perfect center place where we could all agree that everybody should give up something, then all would be well. Which leads me to Stephen Bennett's column today in Washington Monthly that I reposted in part as Stephen Bennett goes full drift class <laughs> because a, a reader of mine sent this link along saying, hey, this guy just – wrote your David Brooks column for you. And he did. And it was a really good column. It's David Brooks, another horribly dishonest column by David Brooks in which he says Democrats and Republicans are both equally responsible for the failure of the super committee just so long as you don't notice the fact that everything I'm attributing to Democrats having done is a lie and all of the good faith efforts that I'm telling you Republicans did in private is also a lie. Um, and that's a David Brooks column. They, they are, they're so... They're so self-parodying at this point that if people just collectively refuse to take them seriously and treat them like the Lockhorns or, I don't know, Family Circus as one of those god-awful features that gets stuck in the corner of your cartoon section that nobody seems to be able to get rid of but nobody gives a shit about, I wouldn't care. But he influences a vast and ignorant and willfully ignorant public and therefore as long as he keeps cranking this crap out. I'm going to keep hitting him over the head for it. And thank you once again, Edgar. And we have one more letter. And letter number four is from Tony in St. Louis, who wrote us accompanying a contribution. Hey, thank you, Tony. Thank you very much, Tony. We really do appreciate it immensely. Tony writes, things are tight for a lot of folks these days. More might want to give but can't. More often people just forget and don't think about it. I know that things are changing in this country when I can hear voices like yours. I remember when I got my iPod and heard Al Franken on Air America. It was like a door opened to the box we had all been trapped in. I live in St. Louis, and we have all conservative crap on. When he left the show, I thought, oh, no. But then Tom Hartman was there, and Keith, and Rachel, and Sam Cedar, and Schenck, and you two. The power elite have lost control of the media, and thus the message they wanted to sell. There are so many different blue folks to support now, which is good, but the money gets spread out more, which can be bad. The marketplace is changing, and your voice is the future. It just takes time. Tony. You know, Tony, I couldn't agree more. We we have support. We have lovely, long, interesting, literate emails from all, literally all over the world. Literally, it's yeah. just it's, – it's astonishing. We have little packages. Packages that show up, and sometimes they have garlic and catnip in them. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that a great little box? (laughs) (laughs) Garlic and catnip. was so wonderful. (laughs) Homegrown catnip and homegrown garlic. Um, And sometimes it's a check, and sometimes it's a card and a letter, and we get them through email. And This is a show about counting our blessings, and believe me, uh, when we started out 50 – I'm sorry, 103 episodes ago. 103 episodes ago, yeah. uh, We – we promised ourselves we'd keep doing this as long as it was fun. As long as and and occasionally it has caused making the deadline. That's really the yeah. only getting it out by Friday show. is hard sometimes. Yeah, getting it out by Friday, yes, is hard on especially on Blue Gal who does as I've said before all of the heavy lifting in the sound editing department to make us sound really good. And she also does a lot of research. She really does listen to. Uh, the the competition in the sense that she listens to lots of podcasts from lots of sources mm-hmm. and she is writing or has finished writing i believe a pamphlet on yes. how to how to do this how how to how to prepare yourself and what the tools she uses are which i think is really well written and 
a wonderful um, if I can we'll if I can get the margins right, I'll print it out and send it to anyone <laughs> who I, I said you know free with a twenty dollar contribution to the podcast. It's it's really almost done. I've got two orders so far. People that want to actually podcast and know what we're doing, and it's it's a what eight page little pamphlet that I yeah. just wrote out what we do to to get this yeah. on the air every week. And you can tell she wrote it. Yes, you can. You can. <laughs> it's it's written in my voice for sure. Yeah. Which, it, which means it's encouraging. I just wanted to, to bring that up to point out that what we do is doable by anybody in, ter- in the technical sense. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that keeps us going every week, week in, week out, is the encouragement and kind words we get, the feedback we get. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be kind. We, we do get a lot of critical feedback, which we read, and some of which I think is, is very well placed, mm-hmm. and some of which we've read on the air. Mm-hmm. But it's keeping it fun and keeping it to to being something we want to do. This is something that gives us pleasure, and we enjoy doing it. And as long as it's that, uh, it has generated more blessings than I ever thought Absolutely. possible. Absolutely. And, and I woke we up count- on our wedding day and edited a podcast. She did. It's true. <laughs> I did. It was our she wedding did. day. <laughs> she did. It's just sad, really. It is. It's tr- really I, sad. <clears throat> but How it's committed one th- we are to this is just kind of crazy. But Well... We do love doing it, and uh, getting and it out every now. week is really important to us. So we and we believe in from from all of our years in blogging, we <laughs> know that consistency is really important to the audience. Get up and do something. Write Get something. up and write something. Yeah. It's a it, commitment. What it's you're, a commitment. This is just us making food in an open restaurant and serving it to the public, and we like doing it. But it is something that anybody can do. If the ingredients are available to anybody, but you have to do it every day. Yep. And if you don't, the muscles uh, get you, weak. Your commentary might be wonderful, but your your artistic muscles will suffer for it. One of the things that keeps us coming back to the easel every day is you guys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Is not plaudits or public approbation, but the sense that we are in a constant exciting conversation with our fellow human beings over things that we feel passionately really, about really through the matter. medium of art. Really, really matter. Yeah, yeah. And we try never to forget that that's a blessing. And it, and it really is. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we have uh, an app for the iPhone. And do be aware it is an Apple uh, app. So it's only available for iPhone if you have a different kind of phone. Sorry. It is available at the iTunes store. And it's the professional left app. It has both our blogs, it has podcasts, and it has bonus content from time to time. We have a website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can listen to us for free with no download and no registration. We're on Facebook and iTunes. A special shout out to our Crooks and Liars and Netroots Radio listeners. We are on Crooks and Liars on Saturday nights at Open Thread and on netrootsradio.blogspot.com on Sunday nights. And we had an email a couple of days ago from a woman named Marilyn who said, I just wanted to tell you that I give thanks that I found you in Drift Glass and your weekly podcast. I came back to the United States in 2007 after 23 years living overseas. Although I knew it was not going to be great living in the U.S., I really did not expect the mess that this country has become. My sister, thank God, is also a progressive and told me that I should go to Crooks and Liars. <laughs> which is a good place to go, which I did religiously almost daily, but until about a year ago, I had not listened to your podcast. Now, I don't miss one, 
and I am on the computer on Saturday morning going directly to your website and not waiting for it to come on Crooks and Liars. It is one of the few times during the week that I feel like there are people who understand and share my disappointment and outrage. Thank you, thank you for all that you do. I only wish that there was more than one podcast a week. <laughs> Which, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. It's it's technolo- It's within our technological power yeah. to do that. It simply isn't within our ability in terms of time or yeah. We'll see how finance. We'll see, yeah, we'll see how we'll see how things go with the job search for Drift Class in yeah. the next year, and maybe we'll be doing a daily show. Yes, if if the contributions keep coming in, twelve a week. Coming coming to you live from just below the aqueduct <laughs> near the. Don't you the abandoned boxcar? <laughs> you know, blue gal, the abandoned boxcar has its downsides. <laughs> What with the hobo clothing in the corner and the old cans of beans. But it does have Wi-Fi, and I think that's important. So I can do a podcast from the hobo car. From the hobo car. We can do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm not mocking hobos or those no, who love or them. No, people without homes. God no, bless at all. My God. I am it's quite... All we're saying is that there but for the grace of God go us. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, one thing breaks one way or another, yeah. and... That's what America has become. So good on you, Marilyn. Yes, and thank you. And we want to thank you so much for your contributions. We are grateful for all of our 3,000-plus listeners that we've had in the past week. And excuse us if we're especially thankful to the 12 people, including the yarn guy who contributed to the podcast since we posted our last episode. Thank you so much. We have an email address. It's proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to write us. Be aware that if you write us at that address, we reserve the right to read your email on the air, unless you say otherwise. And we only use first names on the air. So, Blue Gal, how are those Internet kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet kitties have a lot to be thankful for, most of all that they waited to endorse a GOP candidate. While it's true that Lyndon LaRouche is pushing 90, on the upside, he isn't Mitt Romney. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2011, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. You know what this election's about, Blue Gal? It's about how can I put you in a slightly used 2012 Obama? Because, you know, Nobody comes on a lot less than they want to buy. So you tell me what it's going to take for me to put you in. It's, it's a sweet ride. Let me tell you, it's taking a few bangs. It ain't what you thought it was. No bells and whistles. But for God's sakes, look what the fuck the competition's trying to sell you. So you tell me, what's it going to take to put you in this car today? Get you off the lot today? If I got to talk to my manager, you let me know. I'll go and work out the details. Let's get the paperwork going on this thing right now.